0: The people who are already turned on got more turned on. There are a few people who are getting turned on who got more turned on. But the problem was is the media sent a message. The narrative, right, the narrative in the media globally was the message that you're a victim of a virus. And that is largely known as germ theory. The message wasn't, if you have chronic inflammation, here's what you can do to lower your inflammation so that when you do get the virus and when you get one of the mutations of the virus then it won't be that big a deal. And and it'll make your system stronger because you'll naturally build antibodies. In fact, a lot of that science was suppressed. It's since come out, but it was suppressed.
1: Podcast Junkies, episode 297. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Newcomers to the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the one where we seek out interesting voices in podcasting and get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. Given the state of the world today, there's always a topic we're going to be finding interesting on this show, and I appreciate them sharing their time and their stories. Last week, in case you missed it, we spoke to Donna Laughlin, who joined the show to talk about the insatiable need for human-to-human connection, manifesting what you want in life, and her desire to tell stories that aren't being told through her podcast before it happened. We discussed a wide variety of topics, ranging from her experiences flying planes and driving race cars to her journalism career, to the fascinating conversations she's been able to have with her guests on the show. So make sure you check that out in case you missed it. I'm grateful for the opportunity to partner with Focusrite. I'm so excited to talk about their newest line of sound cards, the Vocaster. It's got an endless list of features. I'll go through a couple here. Auto gain, easily set your levels with the click of a button. With more than enough gain on tap, 70 dB, no booster needed an enhanced feature which allows four podcaster approved voice presets which will bring out the best in any voice you can silence the mic with the touch of a mute button and record phone calls high quality music or any audio from your device seamlessly you can record to a camera directly to its memory card it's got a loopback feature to stream calls or any other audio you can think of from your computer and three amazing packages of software hindenburg lite three months of squadcast pro plus video and six months of acast influencer what an amazing package you can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. This week, I spoke to Kate Stillman, the founder and CEO of Yoga Healer and Yoga Health Coaching. She joins the show to discuss her work as an innovative Ayurvedic practitioner, yoga teacher, and health coach. She's the author of four books, including Body Thrive and Master of You. And in this episode, we engage in a rich conversation about digital marketing, positive stressor habits, and what it means to be living on purpose all things that are really fascinating to me, and I love deep-diving on these topics. She talks about her work guiding people to live their unique, greater purpose, and how she's grown as a podcaster. And one of her more exciting focuses currently, which is, above all things, urine therapy. Stay tuned for that one. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 297. And if you are enjoying this episode or past episodes, as always, I'd love it if you leave a rating or review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash junkies. Also, I think it's important to you as a podcaster to communicate to your audience, as I'm doing right now, that over the years, I've found that the best way to discover podcasts is when they're recommended to me. And so in that spirit, if you are enjoying the show, if you just found the show, if you're a long time listener, every once in a while, I'm going to ask you to find one person that you think would be entertained, educated, and inspired by this content and share with them say, hey, have you heard about Podcast Junkies with Harry Duran? It's the one with a yellow background. You can't miss it. Going on eight plus years. So that's my ask to you this week to share the podcast with one person. If you're feeling adventurous, don't forget to try out one of the new podcast apps at newpodcastapps.com that support direct contributions to the podcast host. One of the favorites that I'm testing out is Fountain, and you can find it at fountain.fm. There was a nice write-up by the folks at Pod News recently, and Oscar Mary, the founder of Fountain, was on pod land with Sam Sethi and James Gridlin. So make sure you check out that interview. It's one of the more recent ones. And he talks about his plans for the app and why it's such a, a valuable addition to the podcast app ecosystem. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's recension hashtag. But for now, let's get into this conversation with Kate Stillman. So Kate Stillman, host of Yoga Healer Podcast. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies.
0: Thanks, Harry. I'm excited to be here.
1: So we were just chatting in the green room, so to speak, (laughs) about all the connections we have and the mutual friends we have. And uh, you mentioned your friendship with um, the founder of Shushi Podcast, friends of this podcast, Elsie Escobar and Jessica Kupferman. And your connection with Elsie goes back to 2003. Is that right?
0: Yeah, we were uh, teachers in Anusara Yoga, and our when okay. training, we put our mats down next to each other. And we had so much fun. Later, she found out I was putting all these audio files in my blog, all these audio interviews, and she's like, "Kate, yeah. that's a podcast." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that was maybe around two thousand nine, I think.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I was looking on your website, and I noticed them as blog posts, and then I, I wasn't able to trace back to when you actually took the audio and I guess launched it with a proper podcast host. And so would that, have, that would have been 2009?
0: Yeah, I think by 2010 was when I got it going. Yeah, when we switched over the files and, you know, she kind of walked me through the process, and I was like, you know, just to some degree, like not wanting to bother, I was just wanting to interview great people. You know, and that's really where it was coming from is I had a, I had an online course I started in 2007 called the Living Are Your Veda course. And at that time it was a thousand dollars. Now it's $7,500, but same idea where we walk people through handhold people through their own healing journey. And so as part of that, I, and I think this is one of the things that a lot of podcasters realize who've been in it for a while. It's like, oh my gosh, I have, I have a platform in which I can have really cool conversations that I couldn't have if I didn't have the platform. So because I had the course and the course members and they were asking these questions, I was able to interview some really phenomenal gurus and yogis that were very established in their you know, just high, high level training. And they would come and talk to us for an hour for free. And I was like, this is the best gig going. <laughs> and then the students wanted to share it with their sister or their best friend or their yoga teacher. And so I put it in my blog cause I had a blog. I'd been blogging for years and that's sort of what, yeah. what eventually led me to podcast.
1: It's interesting is that you were early on in podcasting even if you weren't calling it podcasting and then, but I'm, I'm curious just to kind of see how far this goes because you were even the courses, you know, the fact that you were early on with your course, which has now grown to what it is today. So can you pinpoint like when your digital content marketing, digital marketing journey began? Is, was it with the blog?
0: It actually started long before the blog. I mean, if we trace, you know, content marketing, right? Like what, to, I was always a content marketer. I was go, I mean, it was kind of funny, but like I was analog. And then I started yoga com in 2001. I was living in San Francisco at the time. And I posted on Craigslist, which started in San Francisco, which was actually really big in 2001 in San Francisco. And I posted like, hey, I need someone to help me design a website and I'll trade you. If you're in back pain, I'll get you out of back pain. And I got like, honestly, I got 20 responses in 24 hours because it was the dot-com bust. It was San Francisco. There were web developers everywhere. They all had back pain sitting on their butts all day. That's so funny. It was so funny. So I got this guy. He came over to my apartment and uh, we started on Dreamweaver. And I just started to basically share. I was going back and forth between an Ayurvedic medicine community, that's the healing science of yoga, and a very serious yoga teacher training community in San Francisco. And both those schools, and some of my teachers were involved with both of those schools. There's some overlap. But I found that the communities really didn't, uh, they had so much to share with each other and really had a hard time communicating. And so that was really the beginning of my content marketing and course curriculum journey where I would just create really usable, shareable, you know, pieces of information, tip sheets, like that kind of thing, print them out and bring them, you know, to the appropriate community so they could understand each other. And uh, and I started my email list then with, uh, I mean, old school technology. I think I started with Constant Contact wow. back in the day and just knew that it was a dialogue, like that they would ask me the best questions and then I would answer them in email and I would post information on my website and it, I don't know if you remember Dreamweaver but it was like all these like blocks
1: no I was gonna I was I was just gonna tell you that I, I, I learned Dreamweaver I know Dreamweaver not well but I, I I mean I at the time I sort of jumped into it because I remember friends were using front page and I hated front page and I'm more kind of visual so I I, I remember using Pagemaker because this is going back now to, I think the company is called Aldus. I'm like now going back in my mental archives here, but I did some newsletter stuff with PageMaker and I think Dreamweaver is part of the same family. And I loved the sort of kind of the, what they call the WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get aspect of it. And I remember creating like hover over graphics. You would hover over your mouse and it would change like a different color. And I was it took me like a while to figure out how to do that in Dreamweaver. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But yeah, I mean, my early websites were also built in Dreamweaver.
0: Yeah, and that was the big, be- I mean, that was really the beginning and people would just ask me questions and I would create workshops and handouts. And then that was the beginning of content marketing. And so with the, you know, putting them on the internet wasn't a big step.
1: And so if you were building your email list from way back when, assuming you've kept it up, it must be a pretty decent sized list by now.
0: Yeah. I mean, we buy traffic now, but it grew organically in a potent way. But now we buy traffic off Facebook and we're about 70,000. So not huge, like nothing ridiculous.
1: That's great. That's good. But
0: just a healthy list that really supports, you know, supports the people that are on it with good content.
1: Where did the, so talk a little bit about your yoga journey, because that's obviously the source of the content. (laughs) And I'm wondering like how that got started.
0: Yeah, well, bef- I think I was doing yoga before I knew what yoga was. Very much in it. A- there's different <laughs> types of yoga too. Like there's the you know hatha yoga, which is the body yoga that we see that we associate with yoga today. But there's also, jnana yoga and, and bhakti yoga. And I'm more of a jnana yogi, like a wisdom yogi. So I'm very much an intellectual yogi. So I went into yoga leaving climate change politics and policy. So I was, you know, basically a save the planet. I studied international environmental law and politics in undergrad and finished school in China and went to work on policy in Washington, D.C. and and quickly became disillusioned in pollution issues and realized that, like, I could sacrifice my life and wouldn't be able to counter big business and that was depressing but luckily i was young enough and so i decided to work at the human consciousness angle instead of the policy angle like how do we how do we help humans evolve because when people elevate consciousness uh they stop doing certain behaviors and they become a lot more pollution conscious and
1: they stop destroying the planet
0: (laughs) they stop destroying the planet exactly and they start to realize it's like you know it's a uh, one people one planet, and so I, I decided to devote my life to that instead. So I did a, a big pivot and moved away from D.C. moved to the mountains. I was able to telecommute in 1996. Take I know it was kind of wild. I was a little. I'm a bit of a futurist. So, the <laughs> <laughs> and then that really brought me into an head of the curve. Deep, yeah, deep investigation of like what. What wisdom tradition really understands human consciousness and how to shift human consciousness? And because I had been in China and knew quite a bit of Chinese language at the time, I've since forgotten it. But I, you know, was debating between Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine. But I found that Ayurveda, which its language base is Sanskrit, that it was much more uh, it, it was much more accessible to a Western mind than Chinese both philosophically, but also linguistically. And so that brought me deeper into yoga and and Ayurveda, the healing science behind yoga. And that's more or less where I've been. And since then, I've evolved more into a a kind of a a more of like all indigenous cultures and traditional medicines type of perspective. But my base is still much more strong in, in Ayurveda and yoga, philosophically speaking.
1: So for folks that are new to the space, because even though you were ahead of the curve back then, and you know this was something that you were learning for you know the first time and, and going deep into it, there's still people now that you know have no idea what that what that's about. So maybe just a quick primer on uh, how you would describe how learning this Ayurvedic medicine, Ayurvedic the, the yoga teachings, like how that began to transform your life personally and what if anything it affected it had in how you dealt with like the day-to-day realities of, of, of the world we live in
0: yeah there's so many ways to answer this question i mean to me one of the well two core things i want to talk about is like there's A lot of us don't even realize, who aren't raised religiously, don't even realize we're raised in Judeo-Christian culture that has certain assumptions built into it that are really quite different than the assumptions in Taoism or Zen or yoga. And so one of the first things was like, oh, like you are the creator. You and the creator are one, right? That's Eastern philosophy. Western philosophy was that, you know, or at least the, the the biblical interpretations are like Christ is the son of the father, but you're not him. So you're essentially different than the divine. So in the East, it's like, uh-uh, that responsibility's on you. Like, you're the divine. You're in the seat of the creator. What are you going to do with it? And because you are the creator, like, you, who you are is intrinsically evolution. So you are the whole. And you are separate. And so it's a very different, it's just a very different place to navigate from. It's very empowering, but it's also like, it's the mantle of responsibility. And then secondly, Eastern philosophy and Eastern medicine, and it's it's very much where, where Western medicine or Western science or allopathic scientific literature has ended up today, which is basically circadian rhythm trumps everything. So in studying Ayurvedic medicine, the first thing that really landed for me, and these were the first workshops I was teaching in San Francisco in 2001, their Daily Habits of a Yogi, which later became a year-long course that I lead called Body Thrive. And it's based on the 10, 10 we, I just took circadian rhythm, which is basically like we're diurnal species. Uh, it, we digest better in the middle of the day. We sleep better if we sleep during the darkness. Uh it's just basic habits that align to rhythm, which are totally disrupted right now. And in other parts of circadian rhythm are a natural fasting rhythm that we're not meant to just snack all day and eat all the time, but that our physiology needs rest and digest in order to metabolize and, and reset and, and go into stages of autophagy that actually allow digesting inflammation. So those were the two big things. It was like, A, you're the creator, B, there's a rhythm, and you don't trump rhythm. No individual can trump rhythm. So if you live against the rhythm, you're gonna suffer. If you live with the rhythm, you'll experience power.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I was raised uh, Catholic, and I think uh, when you don't know any better, because this is what you're taught, you know, if you don't put yourself in an environment where you you can begin to question things, and I'm just naturally curious, and just was was always looking for the source of all things, and I would unravel something, and it would take me down another rabbit hole. And now, I tell people like you know because of my connection with spirituality, I've I've done plant medicine. I've, I feel like a direct connection to you know Creator Spirit um, that is is very powerful for me. But it's been an ongoing process, and always questioning, always. You know, looking for, for new answers and not taking what I hear or what I read as, as the be all end all. I think the way I've, I've described it is I, I don't want to have anyone get in my way of my connection to God. It's just like me direct connection, like no other person, <laughs> no, no church, no other, you know, organized religion gets in the way. And I think when, to your point, when you recognize that there is some sense of responsibility because you then have, you know, a way in which you know how the world works and, you know, again, coming back to responsibility of of how to behave in this world and what the right choices are, not necessarily that you always make them, but that you're aware that they exist. And for me, it's just, it feels like a just a lifelong journey here. I literally feel because of experiences I had in an ayahuasca session that I basically picked this life experience and I selected my parents and I said, I know exactly what I need to work on from. from my soul's perspective and it's gonna be in this human form, in this incarnation. And that's literally like what I'm tasked with in this uh, life experience for myself.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean the ethneogens, like the plant medicines that bust through the veils of consciousness or what the yogis call call maya and give us a, a real tangible first person experience of like, ah, uh, I and the creator are one.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering if how you see people's awakening journey unfold when they're first made aware of these teachings, when they first start to do the practices, given that you've been doing it for so long and through the, the teacher training you've had, I'm I'm guessing you would see certain patterns or, or consistencies in terms of how people are, are awakened to this and the experiences they have. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that to give people a flavor for, you know, folks who may not be aware of what is possible if you decide to go down this path.
0: Yeah, well, and now, I mean, my path has shifted so much from teaching yoga, where I was 20 some years ago, to really leading leading people through habit changes. And it's really what we do, is is the, is the daily circadian rhythm habits. And, and the biggest awakening that people have is how much symptomology is optional, how much they've been accelerating their own aging process, how much they've been actually creating the symptoms that they're experiencing, creating the diseases that are in their body. And, and there's a bit of a, uh, and usually there's some anger <laughs> that comes out with that, like anger against culture, anger against society, anger against the corporations that are largely you know unregulated and, and disrupting human genetics and, and our, uh, in our ecosystems as well. So that's a lot, you know, it's a lot for someone to, you know, to, it's like, you, you go from being like a victim, like, I feel like a victim of this to now I'm in the seat of the creator and I'm by it, but like, God, I'm pissed, you know, like, why, why is all this crap? I mean, I was in the, I was in one of those big box stores the other day that sells big boxes of stuff. And this woman, this obese woman was putting in a huge box of like this huge box of like candy in her cart. And it's like, When you know, there's some degree that we want to blame the consumer, but I, you know, I think what happens on the path often is we actually also want to blame our policies and our institutions and the companies that are allowed to create highly addictive substances and food factories that disrupt human genetics. Yeah, I don't know. Does that answer the question? I mean, to me, it is like a big part of the the battle of. The awakening process is like, oh, wow, the odds are kind of tipped against me acting in my own best interest.
1: It's interesting, that aspect. Yeah, I understand that that that, uh, that experience you have when you go into a big box store like that. And there is a sense of, I think part of it is people, it's almost that, I always come back to that scene in The Matrix when uh, there's that one guy who sort of like is the double agent and he's like, he's cutting the steak and he's drinking the wine. And he's like i know it's not real he's like but you know what like i don't care like it's just (laughs) you know i know that the matrix exists but like i'm this tastes good and i'm gonna just savor this and just maybe put blinders on and realize like i'm just gonna live in my world of like immediate gratification and and i and i myself like you know sometimes fall into that not to that degree But I'm wondering, you know, it's scary. Change is scary for folks, especially if you're not, if you don't have a support group. And I'm wondering people not only see that they need to take the first step, but then like are probably looking around and saying like, am I going to be doing this alone? Who am I doing this for? What's the bigger purpose? And, you know, we only have so much life on this planet. So should I just go for it and just, you know, have the foot on the gas the whole way through and just say I lived life? vicariously and, and I lived it to the extreme. And the other side of that could be, you know, I, I've lived it more consciously and maybe seeing the bigger picture because if you feel like you are an eternal soul, then maybe that'll color your decisions differently. But it's it's not easy, especially when you have, you know, I just immediately think of family members because I want them all to be on the path. And, and you know, it's not for everyone and it comes at a, at a, at a time and a place when, when they're ready to hear the message. And and I imagine when people get to start working with you, they've already made the conscious decision that this is a change needs to happen. They may not be fully grasping or understanding what the next step is. And I think that's maybe where where you help them. But yeah, I'm wondering where, you, where, where your thoughts are on people who just say, you know, life is tough and you just got to make the best of it what you can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the problem with it, it's not really, if we actually look at the habits of, Modern culture, or what I call conventional culture, is the habits of conventional culture lead to chronic inflammation, which leads to chronic disease, which is the number one killer worldwide. So the World Health Organization's new stats are that three out of five people today, and it's actually a little bit more than that recently, but like their, their more recent report is um, three out of five people die of, the, of chronic disease. Now, in about 100 years ago, chronic disease didn't really exist. It was like 5% of the population right now, not just people dying of chronic disease, but people that have symptoms of chronic inflammation. And chronic means they don't go away. Chronic usually means if you go to a doctor, you're going to be put on medication for chronic. So right now in the United States, 30% of children are on chronic inflammation medications. And that's lifestyle and diet driven. It's not something the, the medication can actually solve for. So it's not like you feel awesome and you're enjoying the, you're enjoying how you feel every day, pedal to the metal, like you feel like shit and you increasingly feel like shit and you stack meds and you stack diseases because then you also have comorbidities. So anyone that was like afraid of COVID, right? COVID's a, it was a virus. If you had low allostatic load, so if you had low inflammation, You had usually you had a lot less fear in general because you knew your immune system was strong and that you could handle viruses and fight viruses, even the big scary ones. The more allostatic load you have, which is the more oxidative stress or the more inflammation there is chronically or systemically in your physiology, the more you did have to worry about because you already were carrying a load that would make an infection more severe and could kill you, right? And so what we see is like 100 years ago, acute inflammation would kill you not chronic. And modern medicine's done a lot to help us with, you know, and fight bacterial infections on an acute level. But diet and lifestyle over the last hundred years, if you look at the, the, it's just straight hockey stick growth curves and chronic inflammation, chronic disease, sugar consumption, and vegetable oil consumption. And all of those things, it's like that's If that's what like living on the, you know, living by the seat of your pants is really all about. The problem is you wake up every morning and you feel groggy and and heavy and you feel like you have cravings and you're not really in control of what you want to eat because your cravings are dictating what you're doing and how you're thinking and you're losing focus. The studies are very, very well established that um, as soon as you have less resistance to insulin you basically have lower cognitive function, so you're no longer able to focus. And over time, that really degenerates your neuroplasticity, so you can't learn. It's harder to learn. And over time, it, your world gets smaller and smaller. So the other direction, the more conscious direction, which might seem more restrictive at first, opens to much greater freedom. And that essentially is the path of yoga. path of yoga is the, the path of, of complete freedom, freedom of the creator, where you get to design your next reality. And it leads to deep focus and it leads to deep sleep and it leads to a very deep level of metabolism where you just aren't in consumer mindset anymore. You're in citizen or creator mindset and you're able to take much greater risks, much greater risks in your life than if you have chronic inflammation. If you have chronic inflammation, your world gets increasingly small. And so do what you want to do because your zone of safety becomes smaller and smaller. The world becomes more and more, like viruses, right? Things become much more threatening than if you have a rock-solid, resilient immune system, as you are designed to do by your human biology. So the second point is yes, your habits are not your own. So if you want to change your habits, anyone listening is like, I got to change my habits. (laughs) Like, I need to get on the bandwagon, right? Like, you can't do it on your own. Like, you need to find a community of people that already has those habits if you want to root yourself in success and make it easier and more fun. And the other thing, the third thing, and then I'll shut up, is that it's not, you know, change isn't linear. It's cyclical, it's rhythmic, it's spirals. So you will have ups and downs along the way. And that's where community can also really help. Cause when you're at a low point, it always feels like you're just at back at the beginning, but you're not, you're not. You've automated some habits, you've made some progress and the community can help bolster you right back to your edge of evolution.
1: What have you seen after COVID? Is there anything in terms of awareness more interest in people looking for alternatives looking to strengthen their own immune system that just it was something that wasn't top of mind for them pre-covid but you know because of the realities of of what we've gone through i myself uh, lost my best friend from high school to covid he was you know we had fallen out of touch but he was i found out like a little overweight and put on the ventilator and you know i assumed he would come through, but he, he didn't. And that was a big shock when you have someone that's in, in your age group, and someone that's that close to you. But it just, I think was a not necessarily the wake up call, because I've always been into alternative health. And I don't know if you know, Gary Null, he's like an old school health pioneer that I've been that was one of my early podcasts, but just always into like, new ways of thinking in terms of alternative health. But it, it, it just was a reminder, for me, that's something that's important. And something that you need to you also need to do a little bit of research in, because no one's going to come to you and say, hey, this is how you live an optimal life. And that, and I imagine that sort of same shock happened to a lot of people. And I'm wondering if it's something you saw from your perspective, both going into this and, and even coming out of it now.
0: Yes and no. So, you know, the people who are already turned on got more turned on. There are a few people who are getting turned on who got more turned on. But the problem was, is the media sent a message, the narrative... Right, The narrative in the media globally was the message that you're a victim of a virus. And that is largely known as germ theory. The message wasn't, if you have chronic inflammation, here's what you can do to lower your inflammation so that when you do get the virus and when you get one of the mutations of the virus, that it won't be that big a deal. And, it might, and it'll make your system stronger because you'll naturally build antibodies. In fact, a lot of that science was suppressed. It's since come out, but it was suppressed. And so unfortunately... What we actually saw is a rise in sugar consumption, a rise in alcohol consumption, a rise in drug consumption. We saw a rise in chronic inflammation and a rise in the comorbidities of the diseases of chronic inflammation, all of which make any kind of virus a lot more dangerous. And again, because chronic inflammation leads to neurodegeneration, meaning your brain degenerates, it's harder to learn new things. And it's easier to get more and more isolated and more in the seat of the victim where it's too hard to change. No one around me changing. I can't do anything anyway. So, I mean, I don't need to be gloom and doom, like, at all. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, what a missed opportunity. I mean, if we really, if these corporations really cared about the humans, right, like, that was a big missed opportunity. And since then, there's some some really good podcasts out there. Um, There's, I mean, a lot of them get quickly labeled and cancel cultured and, and whatnot. But in terms of the science, in terms of, I just wrote a book called Wild Habits where I, the first part of the book, I focus entirely on chronic inflammation and the, like the, the science is in and it, it's not questionable. I mean, it's just study after study after study around chronic inflammation, comorbidities and, and the severity of, of the virus and, and the link between habits and depression and habits and neurodegeneration and habits and insulin resistance and on and on and on. So, I mean, that the good news is really simple things work and they're all free. Yeah. That's the good news. The bad news is they're hard.
1: What are some examples of
0: those? <laughs> fasting, intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting to me is the number one habit everybody must have. I have a good interview on Yoga Healer with uh, Mark Mattson, who was an NIH. He ran a division of the NIH. He has some of the, I think the most aggregate research on intermittent fasting. And he started the interview with like, Human brains used to be 10% bigger 10,000 years ago. So he has an evolutionary perspective of intermittent fasting and neurodegeneration. And and he really sees it all all firsthand. So it's basically like this. Even pregnant women, even toddlers fast in the old times. And this is just shocking to us now because most pregnant women are overfed. Over a third of babies are delivered through C-section which means their microbiomes didn't get properly established in the early part of the life, which leads to chronic inflammation by the time they're children, which also explains some of the medication of children. So, you know, fasting builds resilience. Our physiologies are, are so strong, and if we allow them to be. And one of the easiest ways to disrupt cellular function is overfeeding or feeding too frequently. So, even if we're not eating, too much, if we're eating too frequently, our physiology doesn't go into autophagy. So the cells don't actually repair at the level of like the mitochondria, which are the little energy centers in the, in the cells. Yeah. And so then you have dysfunction replicating dysfunction and you have the degeneration then of, of human DNA via epigenetics and DNA methylization. So it's like the stakes are really high, you know? The stakes are really high. We are degenerating as a species to be clear. And the symptomology that we see in children and adults and elders right now is not aging. That's not aging. That's accelerated aging. That's the technical term for it. We're accelerating how we're aging. It's also called inflammaging, where you have accelerated aging due to inflammation. And there's also meta inflammation, which is this, you know, when you're overfeeding, what happens to cells. And that's really where the majority of the population is right now, even you know, in poor communities and developed countries, like everywhere. And we're just spreading, we're spreading that. So countries that are going from starvation quickly go to to meta-inflammation. It's kind of a bizarre time with that. So simply fasting and for fasting, for most people, it's just eat one meal less a day. It's a really easy, it's a thing that you don't do. Drink black coffee or black tea or green tea or matcha or like anything because caffeine suppresses appetite. Sip hot water. That's what I do. I sip a lot of hot water. And then you start to play with more with metabolic flexibility. So some people will eventually just even just eat one meal a day or a meal a day and a snack. And even starting kids on this is great work. Instead of having snacks all day for kids, just having them have like three meals a day. And then by the time they come become teenagers, like often some days two meals a day. And then some days they're not that hungry. So a meal a day and a snack. And that's just enough to like, Really reset the metabolism and allow the physiology to start to digest some of the the waste within the cells. It allows the fat cells to release some of the triglycerides back into the bloodstream to lean out the fat cells. And when fat cells are leaned out, they're actually anti-inflammatory. They send anti-inflammatory signals through the bloodstream. But when we're overfed, our fat cells actually send pro inflammatory markers into the bloodstream and generate inflammation. So, just from the level of overfeeding, inflammation is created from the adipose tissue, from the fat cells. So, it's the easiest thing to do. It's just like eat less <laughs> frequently. Just eat less frequently.
1: Yeah. We, uh, my partner, and I've uh, tried a little of the, the keto and then the intermittent fasting. Is uh, 16 hours a good starting window? So, eight. Eat last meal at eight and then um, your first one at noon next day.
0: Yeah. And like that, some people are in actually in wild habits. I get into body types, which is a big part of Ayurvedic medicine and most indigenous medicines had body typing where they understood like you're a little different than me you know so like how are we different and we talk about that in the most simple terms in terms of elements so people that are high fire have really strong metabolism these are the kind of people that get really hangry it might be much harder for that person to wait till noon so that type of person might be much better off breaking their fast by 10 a.m. and being done eating by 6 p.m. or even doing an 8 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. as they're as they're eight, 8 um, as it's known in the intermittent fasting world, those that have a lot more density, like people that are, you know, big-boned, you know, blockheads, like that kind of, like thicker people that are naturally more resilient, that actually have stronger endurance, they do great skipping breakfast and doing that, that 12-8. Where I, I help people uh, understand some of that flexibility is, say you're much more, more of a lighter type, like olive oil in the Popeye movies, like real tall, thin, lanky. Elsie's a great example of a Vata type yeah, or a yeah. wind type. <laughs> you know, people like that, they need more regularity. And so 168 is a really good normal rhythm for them, even with some like 1410s built in for metabolic flexibility and occasionally 186s where they're fasting for 18 hours. Whereas more of like the the Bruno types, the thicker the thicker body types, they do really well with like twenty fours thrown in at least a couple times a week, where they're eating windows only four hours. Oh, wow. So body type really does help accentuate your physiology in light of how you're designed. So Pittas are in the middle, and sixteen eights are great. So the fire types are are good with that.
1: I'm just going to ask if obviously for folks that are just easing their way into this, you know, picking maybe one or two days a week to go if is is, is a good way to start.
0: I like people to start with like a one-week challenge just like map out your eating times for a week center it around an eight-hour feed time if you want to play the edge you might choose you know one day to do like a 16 I'm sorry one day to do like a, a six-hour eating window and then you know one day do a 10-hour weeding window so you can figure that out but put those times on your calendar for a whole week so that you can notice because often just doing it now and then you won't you won't be able to notice as much. But in a week, you'll be able to get a really strong sense of like, oh, this is this is how I feel. This is what I look like in the morning. This is how I feel in the morning. This is what's happening with my focus. Uh, a lot of people notice a change in their ability to do deep work. And, and to me, that's important. People get a sense of what their habits are creating.
1: And uh, naturally, <laughs> I think with my overthinking brain, I'm naturally like want to know all the specifics of like what to eat and what kind of food to eat (laughs) and like does coffee break the fast and just like probably just going too far the the challenge with me sometimes is I go too far down the rabbit holes and I want like the specific actual recipe like tell me what to eat what to drink when to eat it (laughs) outlined for me
0: well okay so the what breaks the fast is calories And so, but there's actually, you know, and like just to the danger that you're speaking of, there's a bunch of exceptions to the rules, but in general, like not having calories, but also from the Ayurvedic or holistic perspective, not having non-caloric sweeteners is also much better. So like not having stevia even, or some of the, the chemical sweeteners, because that will actually shift the physiology. So for those who are hardcore, but again, like get into it, however you get into it, like, you know. Get, get in through any access point. But then once you're in, like, those are some things that start to naturally fall away. It's like wanting to do more of a clean fast, mostly water, maybe a little bit of black coffee or black tea or green tea. But, you know, no milk, no sugar, nothing that'll actually break the fast. What's so cool about fasting is the longer you fast, so say you do like a 20-hour fasting window, you're not going to eat junk. Like, you really, like, junk falls away because your body's like, where is the nutrition? right? Like where's the nutrition? And so what we find overall is like, don't focus on what you're eating, focus on when you're eating, play the edge on when you're eating. And what'll happen is what you're eating will fall into sync. Now I start with my people with like fabulous fats, like fat really matters, getting really good, high quality fat. And whether that's animal fat or whether that's avocados or raw sesame seeds, like that's really That's it's really fantastic because it's lubricating. You get a lot of calories. It flushes your gallbladder. Like there's just a lot of benefit, and and it just teaches you that real deep satiation. But in general, you know, I think a lot of people do naturally orient towards phytonutrient rich diets or keto, which is also phytonutrient rich plus plus you know plus animals. Phyto means plant, so plant nutrients and it's kind of as simple as that, like eat seasonally, eat locally, and and, and really enjoy the feasting part because that's what makes, A, fasting like way easier. And then you stop wanting to graze, like grazing starts to fall away. And it might take people, I just wanted to give people too, like a timeline. Say you're 35 years old and you automate this habit by the time you're 40 years old, right? So it's gone by the time you're 40, you have a fasting rhythm, you're no longer grazing, you eat real meals you have metabolic flexibility, you have deep cellular resistance, you're able to focus for hours on end, you're sleeping way deeper. Who cares that it took five years? Because you're 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Like now you're anti-aging. So yeah, you're going to have a million ups and downs between age 35 and 40. We have people start at age 70. And we find that older people are often the easier it is for them to change because they just feel such like shit if they don't do it. That they're often... Faster to change than younger people who have a lot more leeway <laughs> because usually of activity levels more than, I mean, to some degree metabolism, but to a huge degree activity levels. So it doesn't matter when you start, but expect some up and downs and don't judge yourself for it. Just keep doing Just keep being like, okay, I'm going to fast a little longer today. And it's a habit that I love uh, Dr. Jason Fung's comment. He's written a bunch of fasting books and it's all over YouTube. And he's just like, you know, this is something you don't do. It's not something to do, it's not a habit to do. And what my members find in Body Thrive is like their grocery bill goes down usually at 30%. Their restaurant bill goes down 30%. The ROI (laughs) is huge. And to me, more importantly, just from the carbon footprint standpoint, is like right now in the United States, 40% of food is wasted. Food waste goes to almost nothing. It's so dramatic. Like that shift is driven by consumer culture. And eating too frequently is just driving, driving, driving food waste.
1: Yeah. And it's a function as I think about what's in my cupboard right now, like buying stuff that it makes it buying stuff that normally you would have for grazing, making sure that that stuff is not in your cupboard, because that's the first place you'll turn to when you get that craving.
0: Yeah. And it just falls away. That's really what we find is like, it's less of trying to do something or not do something. And it's more that it's more that it just falls away.
1: So you mentioned uh, intermittent fasting as, as the, the first change you'd recommend. Can you, what would be one other, given the time we have, a suggestion for you know, a movement people can make in the direction of, of just living a better life?
0: So going to bed early, waking up early and walking. Regardless of the weather, like I'll walk in like five degree weather, it's snowing and it's blowing sideways. And part of it is like these habits. And I, it's part of why my, this next book is called Wild Habits, because these habits that rewild us are the ones that really turn on our physiology and they turn on our neuroplasticity. And they, they, they're called positive stressor habits. So many of you know the difference between distress and eustress. So not all stress is the same. So some stress is where you do the hard thing. And that hard thing makes you smarter and more able to do hard things in your life, which really changes the outlook of your future. It really changes your ability to rise to challenges that otherwise will remain out of your reach. And it makes you truly a hero in your own life. Like Odysseus had to go on the Odyssey to become Odysseus, right? Like, and that's really, that's positive stressors in a nutshell. It's like, you've got to do the hard thing. So when we stay up too late, we're doing email, we're working our 14 hour work day or whatever as an entrepreneur, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners are uh, we don't realize that we're basically stealing our potential from tomorrow. We're stealing our deeper thinking, our cognitive function. We're stealing our ability to make good decisions, you know, in terms of diet lifestyle, in terms of the people we hang out with, in terms of like what we watch with our eyeballs. And so those are called negative stressors. And that in distress over time is chronic inflammation and leads to chronic disease. So you're just disabling your future potential. We find that habit's hard to change. As a community, it's much easier. Like where we are, it's super rad in Body Thrive to have these totally dorky habits of like going to bed early, waking up early, doing the hard thing first doing, you know, always exercising on an empty stomach first thing in the morning so that you accentuate autophagy, you make your cells much more vibrant and and open to learning for the day. And then hydration is huge. So sipping hot water, hot water in particular for anyone that has any of the symptoms of inflammation, so like any skin issues, any digestive issues, like any issues that are just sticking around, mucus, like it's just (laughs) inflammation's everywhere, is sipping hot water because it just enables the cells to more deeply hydrate and more easily dump what they don't want. Yeah,
1: it's interesting because my partner and I are doing Sober April because we typically like, you know, after an evening, like a glass of wine. But, at, you know, she's conscious of trying to make sure at least twice a year she's taking a full month off and obviously since we're in the same house, makes sense <laughs> that we both do the same thing and and i think something that i've noticed is just like patches of dry skin that may be a symptom of detoxing as well which is something you know most people don't think but also a sign that probably not drinking enough water so i, I recently had to upgrade my i lost my i left my hydro flask at the airport <laughs> so i just i was like, i gotta get a new one but and i saw that they had a 40 ounce one i was like well three of these is 120 ounces so that's my goal to drink like three of these a day
0: <laughs> yeah awesome Awesome. And yeah. And then, uh, I mean, as far as other habits, I find silence is really key right now. So often, and I see this as a parent. uh, So, I mean, how much phones have changed childhood, but also adulthood. We're just not allowing our faculties to rest. So from an Ayurvedic perspective, like what you take in through your senses has to be digested and to be digested needs time and space. So if we don't have that, we just have basically like a buildup of mental impressions over time, which also drives emotional (laughs) inflammation. And so people can have inflammation outside of diet entirely. That's just just linked to too much time taking stuff in through your eyes and ears.
1: Yeah. And the fatigue as well that sets in. I mean, I normally have these uh, blue light blocking glasses, like, you know, when I'm working during a day and then like the more extreme like orange ones <laughs> here these are like the, the dave asprey level <laughs> yeah but yeah i think i but i did I, I remember when i first started using them i i did not explain it but it was i really felt like my eyes were like getting some rest
0: <laughs> yeah not so pulled to the to the surface yeah
1: yeah so many uh, it's so interesting with these conversations because by the nature of what your topic is i, I never know where, what kind of rabbit hole we're going to go down. And we focus a lot on self-care. You know, we're talking about connection to like a, a higher power. We're talking about uh, health benefits of intermittent fasting. I'm trying to, I want to pull it all together. And it's been a long journey for you as a podcast host before you even realized you had a podcast. I'm wondering... How you've grown as the host of a show, and anything that you've had that would be like you know takeaways or, or lessons learned or some highlights from that journey of uh, hosting the show for these many years?
0: Yeah, so I think I had the show at for different reasons at different times, and for me, the need to be really in touch with why I have the show in a particular time. I feel like I'm I'm probably not a strategic podcaster. Like when I go to the podcast conference, and there's a lot of strategy on how, to, on how to have a show and like what to do and how to have the breakdown and, and this and that. And, and I find, like I get, and then there was a period of time where I was like totally into it. And there's some, and I'll probably go back to it, you know, at some point be like, no, I should actually have some, be strategic about podcasting. Right now I'm using this show as a vehicle to, to, uh, to I mean, it's kind of right back where I started to like have conversations that are otherwise not accessible to me. So I'm interviewing scientists now mostly to as I understand more about biochemistry. I'm trying to I'm trying to understand uh, what they know cuz a lot of times that doesn't actually make it into medicine. It just stays in science. It gets published in some you know, in some studies that you never really make it. I mean they make it somewhere in the scientific community, but on the holistic side they often don't really make it into the into the earballs of people where it could be super helpful. So that's, like, one of the worst podcast strategies because scientists are not influencers. Like, they don't have lists. They don't have social media channels. Like, it's, like, the worst possible strategy. But I think, (laughs) you know, for me, I have – I am a thought leader. I'm super curious. And I have reason for doing what I'm doing. I have a mission. And so my guess is that's probably why my podcast – hasn't died out after a decade <laughs> you know because like if I, I'm willing to find the people I'm most interested in talking to and make sure that conversation happens like I just had a phenomenal conversation with Peter Block on community and this guy was like I mean he and I could have talked for weeks I we just and he's written 10 books he's in his 70s Just is amazing and there's no way I would have had that conversation with Peter Block if I didn't have a podcast You know, and if he didn't land on my website and be like, she's hundreds and hundreds of episodes, like, you know, like she's not a fly by night episode 15, you know, like it's, and so I don't really know where the podcast, and I don't know how to give anyone advice in terms of podcasting, because people have so many different reasons for doing (laughs) it.
1: (laughs) I think the one thing that you've demonstrated by your actions is the importance of being consistent, but also not being so beholden to download numbers. And being more interested in curating content or people who are doing interesting things in the space that you're currently interested in. And probably were it not for your episode, you know, would have a limited platform on which to share what you're seeing as vital information that needs to be transmitted to as many people as far and wide as possible.
0: Yeah totally and then i think the other thing that really happened both in blogging and podcasting for me is like i get asked the same question a lot cuz i have a global coaching community so a student 3 years ago will ask a question that, a que- that after this when i'm coaching later today with the Yogi detox someone will ask that same question and i can just be like okay there's google yoga healer community building <laughs> <laughs> and look for peter block and listen to that one you know and to me that reference library is so useful
1: yeah, so funny because I have a, a past client. She's a, a executive coach for CEOs, and uh, she did three seasons of her show. and it, And it's just kind of she didn't do anything past that. But now she considers her podcast episodes, what she calls prescriptions, which in your case actually are more prescriptive in terms of a healing nature than her intention. But she'll have calls with either prospects or people that she's working with and say, you know what, go back and listen to episodes, you know, two and four, where we expound on the importance of like, honesty in the workplace, and then schedule a follow up call with me if you think it's valuable. And we could have a, you know, you think we should be working together. So to your point, this idea of evergreen content, that is valuable, whether you're listening to it now, or years from now, I think is is a really, really important key takeaway for podcasters to really think about the content you're creating (laughs) continues to live on
0: yeah i mean i'm curious about that even your advice to me for that like my sense is right now is i should really just do a season based on my new book based on wild habits that's both solo casting and the scientist interviews and just have it as a season and rather than try to produce weekly like actually just produce that library so then i have the library what do you think
1: yeah i like that idea a lot because what you can do is be very specific one of the exercises we do with with new clients is we have them plan out their first 12 episodes and all i want them to do is write either the guest they're going to have on or the name the title of the episode i want them to title it before they've even produced it because what that does is it has you reverse engineer like if my t- episode was titled the benefits of intermittent fasting why intermittent fasting for 7 days a week can dramatically change your you know resistance to diseases or you know just That's a first pass. But when people see a title like that, and what I've been seeing in terms of like the algorithm is the title of the episode is still one of those SEO visible fields. So it's important. And I actually like it when titles are long and they sort of run on and get cut off in Apple podcasts, but, you know, be descriptive, you know, how I overcame Crohn's disease and turn that lesson in, into something that ended up saving my mother's life. Like, you're just like, you're being pulled in more and more by by that title that you're like, almost to the point where like, you're compelled if it's something that resonates with you, or it's re- relevant to where you are in your life, you're like, I need it, the feeling should evoke something like I need to hear this episode right now. Like, yeah, I, and it's, yeah, and that's the feeling you want to evoke.
0: I love it. Can I ask another question? Absolutely. I'm like taking over your interview.
1: these are the best kind because it's a conversation
0: right so yeah i'm so with this book this is my fourth book and uh two of them i used a publisher well actually i independently published and then a publisher picked it up and then and this one uh no one will touch it because it's i also have urine therapy as one of the habits in there which is very Controversial, even in the even in the most liberal of healing spaces. Um, fascinatingly enough, even though it's an ancient habit it's found in all cultures, et cetera. So, in any case, I'm independently publishing this one, and I also wanted to because I wanted to own my own content again and just see see the difference between the royalties versus uh, self publishing, and and see if I can sell foreign rights and all that. So, in any case, I'm like, well, each of these chapters. It's so packed. It's so dense. And my members love it when I read from the book because I've been reading it to them as I've been writing it so they could ask questions so I could improve the book as, as we go. Oh,
1: great. That's nice. Smart.
0: And so now I'm like, maybe each of these chapters, like I publish as an episode, and then, then that drives books and membership and courses that are based on how do you actually do these habits because habits are much easier to do in community. What do you think of? What do you think of that?
1: I like that. I think that one of the things I, one of my coaches told me that resonated with me is that people get so worried in this, like, sort in this space, who have you know content delivered. They're like, "Oh, I'm giving away my best stuff." And the way he described it once is that you give, you provide the what and the why for free, and what people would pay for is the how. Yeah. And I thought that was really important, and I think. You know, you may think um, that you're giving away content that's going to be found in the book, but it's it's also this aspect of, you know, there's some good stuff with digital marketing that's really valuable about these various touch points and people, whatever the number is now, seven, 10, 14 times, people need to interact with you, whether it's seeing your stuff on your newsletter, whether it's hearing you on the podcast, whether it's seeing you on social media, but they have to have like X number of touch points before this it starts to click in like, oh, I, I keep hearing about, Kate and I keep hearing about Kate, I keep hearing about Kate, she keeps talking about this, she keeps talking about this. Maybe I should listen. And I think the podcast, because of the nature of how it's delivered, because of the nature of how it's consumed, you don't have to sit down as you do, you know, you can't it's hard to read a book on a bicycle. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to watch a YouTube video while you're making dinner, but like the beauty of podcasting, it's like you have that immersive media that you can sort of consume while you're doing other stuff. And I, I think it makes it more accessible. I always tell people like, don't forget that Apple podcasts in and of itself is a search engine. So if people are, are looking for something, they'll probably go into Apple and say, you know, intermittent fasting, and they'll see what episodes pop up. So I think being in a place where people are looking for, for data and looking for information and looking for help, actually, is really important. And And I think if even if you are, whether it's the book, you're publishing it, and the book is out already, or you're still using it as a test bed to see what if the content is resonating and use the feedback that you get from the episode to tweak that specific chapter. I love it. I think it's a a really specific and, you know, you can almost build it as a sort of peek behind the curtain of your journey to writing this book. Mm -hmm. You know, people love origin stories. There was a really popular podcast called Startup about the company called Gimlet which was you know, Alex Bloomberg, he came from radio, and then he, he literally was recording because he comes from radio, like speaking to his wife about the name of the company and speaking to like having an interview that he recorded with Chris Saka from Twitter and how awkward he was trying to explain what a Twitter, a podcast network was. But as an entrepreneur, I was like, it was riveting like podcast content because he was, you'd get it, you felt like you were like hearing him like work through the process in his mind of like what it's like to start something and describe this to and get investment and create a company and you know anyone who's gone down that journey can can relate to that and I, I think this idea of you know how the sausage is made you know from a book perspective could be fascinating and educational and inspirational at the same time
0: yeah, totally. Actually, we did just release a podcast in the past month on how to write a book with a community. And I kind of go through the process with that because I actually wrote the book in Vellum, which is a Kindle publishing app. It's not a writing app. okay? But it, it was so good for share for like screen sharing and real time where they could read it in the format instead of because like when you read a book on Kindle, it's way better than reading a 60,000 word PDF. Which yes, doesn't even yes. load, right? It like can crash on Google before it loads. <laughs> no, and we, there's no index. I've loaded
1: PDFs, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. So yeah, how the sausage is made. Absolutely, that's great. That's a great reinforcement. Yeah, I mean, I was even like, you know, I'm so not attached to owning stuff. Uh, like just publishing every chapter as a blog post, which is a pain if you want to read a book. But it's like they're all they're all an access point in. They all have SEO. For that searchability, for people to find an answer.
1: Yeah, and I think anyone who's serious about learning about the topic, especially something like that, I would. It's almost like there's certain books that lend themselves well. As much as I love Kindles myself, like to having almost as a reference manual in your hand. Yeah, totally. And there's nothing nothing beats like saying like, "What's that chapter where she talked specifically about a protocol?" You know, for. Meditation for fasting, what have you, and then that'll probably be a page that's dog-eared and highlighted, and it's you know there's something to having that handy. I am the tech part, the, the tech nerd in me loves the Kindle, the highlights, I use an app called Read It Later. So anything that gets highlighted in Kindle shows up in Read It Later, later, and then I that reinforces me on my app because I, I kind of go through my Read It Later stuff once a day. So there's different ways, depending on, on how you you process information. But yeah. I'm all for you know in this day and age, just like getting, I think this all comes full circle to like your mission of like, you know, where, the, the what, what impact you want to leave on this world. And, you know, just everything that you've pulled together, the access to the conversations you have all lend itself well to just getting this out there. And, you know, just if it's, you'll be compensated accordingly. Yeah. (laughs) I just, you just, I just, I just know it, you know, and there's there's nothing that's, it all balances out in the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amen.
1: So I really appreciate where this conversation went. I'm going to subscribe to the podcast and start to get caught up on some of these episodes. But I think... You know, just that guidance of like being more specific if, if you're not already with like the content of the episodes in the title, because then people can start to reference almost like looking at the catalog, because you, especially you with so much content, I think there's some curation required for people to be like, OK, by scanning the, the titles, they can start to see, does this fit into what I need? And then maybe even next level would be to say, you know, like maybe someone on your team could start to put together these eight episodes deal with like intermittent fasting, these eight episodes cover inflammation these eight episodes deal with like you know some of these conversations you're having with these you know thought leaders in the space these scientists that are that are not getting the the, the vis- visibility they should but yeah it feels like there's no shortage.
0: to and doing that via web pages or how do you organize that
1: yeah yeah i think you could do it in web pages and i think you could do even at the very least just kind of like Plugging in whoever you're hosting with, they'll give you an embed player, but you're just embedding the episodes there. So you have a page just on like one specific topic. And again, it's challenging when people come to existing podcasts that have such a deep catalog, they don't know where to start. So what I've seen being used successfully is people saying, "Um, are you new to the podcast? You might want to get started with our 10 most popular episodes and just kind of list them out and provide like a, yeah, a playlist for folks.
0: Oh, Nice. That's super helpful. We're in the middle of doing that, like this whole pillar content on the website that's topic specific. But I love that if you're starting here, that's great.
1: Yeah. You mentioned you were thinking of changing the name of the show?
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's like deeper than that. So my two brands are Yoga Healer and Yoga Health Coaching. So Yoga Healer since 2001 and Yoga Health Coaching since 2012. So what's happened over time is a yoga has changed. Like what people think of yoga has has really changed, and so now yoga is associated with online streaming yoga classes, and we don't do that. Lead people to out of chronic inflammation through the habits of through the habits of circadian rhythm, which yes are based in yoga philosophy, but we're going way more mainstream. So I have to rebrand everything. Like and on the yoga health coaching side we get not nurses and doctors and Chinese medicine practitioners and energy workers and nutritionists and personal trainers and I mean it just and they and they do great in our in our coaching program. It's also a business in a box program and they get a really strong business model where they don't have to become internet marketers in order to have the career that they want to have. But everything is like the brand is a barrier and it's so it's such a bummer, you know. In a way to have built a brand for 20 years and be like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. and it's been working against me for about 7 of the past years. And now I'm finally like this year is the year. So we're rebranding to uh, to a coaching company. We don't have a name and and I'm not sure what'll happen with the backlog or how we'll change the name or if we need to change the name or if I just need to add another show. So I I'd love <laughs> I'd love your advice on that too, Harry.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's have a follow up. I, I mean, uh, my marketing brain kicks in for these sort of conversations, and I love geeking out on this sort of stuff. And this is some of my best sessions with clients. And even when we're just thinking about names, because I'm just like, okay, let's let's get as creative as possible. Because what I tell clients is, uh, when people look at the name, it should evoke a feeling of like this is something. This is a show I probably should be listening to. Mm-hmm. Like I, I started a second show called the Vertical Farming Podcast, and there's like. No mystery as to what the show is about. (laughs) And if you Google those three words...
0: Oh, I'm going to start listening. I have an incredible greenhouse where I was just telling my husband, I'm like, I need to work on my vertical.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What's interesting what I did there, Kate, is I was trying to see if we could just create our own... production client and I said, well we know I, I, we've got the agency full which produces shows for, for business clients. I've been I'm comfortable interviewing because I've been doing it since 2014, you know long form interviews. So I put those two s- sort of superpowers together. And then I strategically said, I only want to, I want to focus on interviews with CEOs and founders of these companies. So now it's four seasons in, I've had a sponsor from day one, because they see the value of like speaking to a niche audience. I just spoke about this in podcast movement LA in a couple last week. And, you know, it's the podcast is generated over close to 60k in revenue from sponsorships. Wow. Specifically, because when And then it's easier and easier and easier for me to get CEOs of these companies now to come on the show because they just look at the back catalog and they see all their colleagues there. They're like, oh, you've spoken to him, you've spoken to her, you spoke. wow, I, I have to be on your show. And then the sponsor was like, they just renewed for seasons five and six because they said in their own words, we're not letting this go. Like they said, we've got clients coming to us that say we heard you on the podcast, and so you know, it's kind of all this to say, just the value of just being very specific about what the podcast is. It's specifically about vertical farming, not ag, you know, agriculture or ag tech. It's specifically about that niche, and I think that's been given given me a lot of focus. I've since started vertical farming jobs, vertical farming weekly. So just kind of thinking of all the different ways they can sort of like you know cross reference each other as well. So all that to say, you know when we have our follow up conversation, just kind of do that brainstorm, just thinking about like, when people see the name of the show, like, what's the sort of like the vision of, 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 you know, where where you want to take them on that journey?
0: I love it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So as we wrap up, I have a couple of questions I usually ask towards the end. The first is what's something you've changed your mind about recently?
0: What is something I've changed my mind about recently? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean I could talk about I mean recently as in the last year. How's that? Yeah. So I'm perfect. 49 years old and the most massive change in my life has been around urine therapy, which is totally bizarre, but it is literally found in every indigenous culture and that it's your urine is your medicine. You can use it in any orifice, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose your anus, it restores the microbiomes of the body. So it helps the microbiomes release nitric oxide, which is a massive anti-inflammatory, anti-pathogen. So I've really changed my mind about what urine actually is. So now I consider urine as a three things, hydration, nutrition, and medicine.
1: Is that available in a recent podcast episode?
0: There's like 10 of them. Yeah. There's a lot in YouTube and on Yoga Healer. There's a lot on urine therapy. Some would say there's been a little too much, but again, that's part of my exploration with who are leaders in the field of urine therapy. Urine therapy goes way back. So like the Buddha talked about it. It's in the the three main ancient Ayurvedic texts from about 2000 years ago. It's I mean, it's one of those things that's like once you're in the know and you get it, you see the entire world differently. Like you see, like talk about, you know, human as creator, you see everything differently. Um, it's quite profound. And then you see how much we are in a consumer culture and how much we're just, we're being sold hydration, nutrition and medicine so yeah, radical, it's radical. And part of the reason I had to write Wild Habits was because I have to release these other books after I really focus on urine therapy, but I needed people to understand the context, like you know, people that are into intermittent fasting and people that are into hydration and are into positive stressors and doing the hard thing and, and that are into cryotherapy and all silence and meditation and all the things I talk about in Wild Habits is I kind of wanted to give that context. I wanted it to give it the scientific context as well in terms of, of how the physiology works with inflammation and reversing inflammation. So now that it was a bitch of a book, but now that that groundwork is laid, I can go more into the, this is exactly how we call it UT, how urine therapy works.
1: That, I mean, that it is also lend itself to a page that would just be Pulling those episodes, those ten episodes, right? And if people just want to yeah. here's the the primer on urine therapy, like and go listen to these ten episodes. And so that's just a perfect example of how like curating the content would be.
0: Yeah, that's a and actually the team is tasked with that right now. So this is like such per, this is such an affirmation that we're doing exactly the right work in marketing. And I if I can can I drop a link in because I have a free P book. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Yoga yeah, book. I love yogahealer.com. It. Yeah. So for anyone's like, what the hell is she talking about? Yogahealer.com forward slash P dash book and it's um it's a little guide and it's just like a quick just to get people up to speed on what this is because i think everyone should know what it is and why people are using it
1: i appreciate you sharing that we'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well what's the most misunderstood thing about you
0: oh people think i'm intimidating so (laughs) uh, for those of you who like are into personality profiles on the gallup strengths test my number two strength is command and it's extremely unusual in today's day and age, to have a woman who's high in command, so just by the nature of like how I show up like i and it's a, it's i can I'm a strong I have a lot of influencer in my personality, so I like literally can get people to like jump off a cliff or start urine therapy or whatever, but it's that <laughs> command that makes people think I'm intimidating, and I'm like, I really don't mean to be intimidating at all. I'm just sharing information in an emphatic way.
1: Well, I think what uh, comes through for me is a passion for the subject matter and an understanding that not to put words in your mouth, but it feels like this is something that is your calling. And the fact that you've been doing it for so long means you've had like a front row seat at the transformational power of going down this path and how it can, you know, improve your life for the better and that there's no wrong or too old age to start this. And I think um, everything that you've done from just this conversation, what I've observed and just into it is that, you know, this is just part of a lifelong mission for you. It's taken many forms, started, you know, as the blog and it's changed into the podcast and now it's going to become the book, the courses. And it feels like the more people you, whose lives you transform, those will also be kind of the evangelist for you as well to get to spread the message far and wide. So I think it's, amazing work that you're doing. I'm, I'm, I love serendipitous interactions that uh, weren't planned. And so obviously, someone from your team reached out to connect us. Oh, Esther, Esther just has been sending me some awesome folks to have yeah, yeah conversations with. So shout out to Esther. And yeah, I'm, I just am appreciative of those moments when I get to have really fascinating conversations that I wasn't expecting and on topics that are really important for uh, for this planet.
0: Thanks, Harry. Well, I'm going to go to my college reunion, my 25th, at Carleton this summer, so maybe I'll look you <laughs> up when I'm in the Twin Cities.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. I'd love to grab lunch or uh, or uh, hot water. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Go for a walk. We'll go for a walk around the lake. We'll go rollerblading, even yeah. better. What to do with the Twin Cities. We'll hang up.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, n- we'll not eat and drink hot water. do <laughs> Well, I appreciate your time. We'll make sure all those uh, links in the show notes. Any other place you want to direct folks to to, to connect with you?
0: I do have live events. So, yogahealer.com forward slash events. If you want to meet up with me okay. in Wyoming or Lisbon, uh, those are our next two. And, and those are highly transformational. They're, they're very much uh, life-changing workshops that we do in person.
1: How long are they?
0: Three days. They're, we use liberating structures okay. they are highly, it's not about learning, it's about doing, but you align your life and your goals with a s- solid strategy that you never would have come up with had you not come.
1: Well, my uh, partner and I are, are making some uh, a concerted effort to include not only like the conference stuff in our planning, but also just wellness, at getaways, retreats. So I'm definitely going to jump on that site when we're done here <laughs> <laughs> just to learn a little bit more and see if the timing works out because... I'd love to, and, and it seems like a nice span of time for some, for some change. So it's definitely something we want to be more conscious of. Thanks again so to Kate, Kate for coming on the show. Awesome, Always Harry. appreciative of the Thanks. hour my guests spend. Again for I say it time and time again. It. And it's yeah, something I'm thankful for if you are a host with guests on your show. I have this mantra, you've heard it before, treat your guests like gold. And I'm never not appreciative when folks decide to spend their hour with me. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 297. Summary, timestamps, key takeaways, quotes from the episode, resources mentioned, all that good stuff. And we take great pains to make sure it's all there for you in case you found something valuable in the show that you need to s- circle back and reference. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his full catalog of fantastic music. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, FocusRight. Their awesome line of new gear, specifically the Vocaster line. And you can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co. Tune in next week for my conversation with Mike McAllen. And if you made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with Yoga Kate hashtag yoga kate and you can tag her at kate stillman c-a-t-e-s-t-i-l-l-m-a-n and us at podcast underscore junkies thanks for everything you do to support the show i truly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart talk to you next week